Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm very excited to bring to you an awesome show. But what I'm going to be talking about today is five Facebook hacks that you can employ on your website right now to help drive more exposure and more traffic. And after I share those tips, I'm going to be taking some caller questions on social media marketing. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Before I get to the tips, I want to bring you up to speed on a project that I've been working on for the last five and a half months or so called MyKidsAdventures.com. And if you're not familiar with the project, let me play a very quick clip sharing why I started the site. And I'll go ahead and share that right now. I recently went to Disneyland. And while I was there, I realized the last time I had visited was seven years ago. Back then, my youngest wasn't even thought of, and my middle daughter was barely one years old, and my oldest was only three or four years old. Where in the world have those years gone? I've been working so hard for the last seven years that my kids grew up way faster than I realized. But then while I was at the park, it hit me. Wait a second. We are the Indiana Jones generation. Where's that sense of adventure gone? Has my work really taken me away from my family this long? And unfortunately today, my kids are finding adventure by themselves with their devices and their game systems. I want to bring a real sense of adventure to my kids. I want to help other parents 
and grandparents create great adventures with their kids wherever they are. Think back to your childhood. If you're like me, you're hanging on to those awesome road trips and fun adventures. Wouldn't it be cool to take our kids on journeys, explore, create, and experience the awesome wonders of our world? What if there was a free resource, a recipe book, a step-by-step instruction guide that could help folks like me make moments our kids will remember? I decided it was time to build that resource. Sometimes all we need are a few good ideas to spark our creativity. This is My Kids Adventures. Will you join me? Let's bring fun back to the family. So I started this website because busy parents like myself and and maybe even you and grandparents are just not spending enough quality time with our kids because we're just constantly occupied by our smartphones and all the obligations that we have as parents. And I just didn't have the creative juices at the end of the day to create something really fun and exciting with my children to do. So I brought together a lot of creative minds and we publish three times a week, really fun activities, adventure theme that you can do with your kids. For example, uh, how to have a backyard treasure hunt or how to have a photo scavenger hunt or how to make slime or uh, glow in the dark bowling in your house using water bottles and glow sticks and just all sorts of really, really cool things. Uh, we launched the site back in uh, the middle of July. And slightly more than five months ago, as of this recording, and I'm recording this um, on March, I'm sorry, on December the 23rd, um, since then, we have had more than 142,000 unique people visit the site, which is awesome. It's awesome, because I know that a lot of people are getting impacted by this, because it's a, it's a place they can go, and, and they can find really fun activities to do with their kids, fully inclusive. So this is a passion project for me. And uh, that video that um, you just heard the audio from has been viewed uh, 9,300 times since I created it, which is just awesome. So I'm trying to make a big impact in the world here, and I could use your help. Um, The obvious thing that you could do is if you are a mom or a dad or a grandparent and you've got kids around you that are maybe under teenage age, um, first of all, obviously go and take advantage of all these great free resources that we've got. There's a resource guide uh, at the top on the navigation bar, and there's just activities in just about every single category you can imagine, things like how to create cartoons with your kids, just really fun stuff. But other ways that you can help is um, we're looking for writers. Are you really creative, and do you do fun stuff with your kids, and do you want to get in front of an audience and maybe make an impact on others? Well, visit mykidsadventures.com slash writers, and uh, we'd love to have you uh, write for us. We could also use your help getting the word out. Even if you don't have kids, you probably know somebody who does. And if you go to mykidsadventures.com slash share, that'll help uh, get the word out. Well, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this project. I know that my children, which are basically 6 to 12 years old, are not going to be with me forever. And I do feel it's a moral obligation that I have fun with my kids before they're off doing their own thing. I, I do want to set 
patterns in place for my children that are going to be there from generation to generation. Well, with that, let's transition over to today's tips by me, five Facebook hacks to take your website to the next level. Okay, hack number one has to do with the way images show up in shared posts on Facebook. Now, I'm sure you've seen on Facebook some posts that have a really big image at the top, and then underneath the image is the URL, the website, and a little description. And in the olden days, this image used to be a really small image, and it still is for a lot of websites with the text off to the right. And when I say really small, I mean really small. We're talking like postage stamp size. And the difference here is if you happen to have uh, content on your website and you want it to be seen in the newsfeed, just by altering the size of the image, it can radically change the way it displays and get you a lot more exposure and a lot more click through. Now, I'm going to share with you a couple of tidbits that I've learned about this. First and foremost, Facebook will query all of the actual uh images that are on your website, and it will choose to display the one that is dimensionally the largest, which is length times width, first. And it will only allow users to select three images. So it's not necessarily about where it's placed in the image. It has to do with the actual size of it. At least this has been my own personal experience. Now, my friend John Loomer has put together a guide that explains in detail how this works. First of all, the aspect ratio of your image is the critical factor here. So it's a crazy number, 1.91 to 1 aspect ratio. And to, just to help you understand aspect ratios, you think about TVs. You know how new TVs are 16 by 9 aspect ratio and old TVs were like 4 by 3 aspect ratio. So this 1.91 to 1 aspect ratio calculates out to be about 1,200 pixels across and 627 pixels deep. Now, to bring this down to a more manageable number, 400 pixels wide and 209 pixels uh, down the page is about the ideal size that you want. Now, don't worry and don't freak out if all these numbers are, are over your head right now because they're all going to be documented in the show notes, and I'll tell you how to get to those later. So, it's as simple as this. Um, you need to make sure that at least one of the images inside of your post is larger than all the rest, and that particular image should be in this 1.91 to 1 aspect ratio. Now, let's just say that you have these really deep images, but not so wide images that you often share on Pinterest, and you have them embedded in the post. The problem is what will end up happening is, and this happens with, with our My Kids Adventures website, it will not show the whole image. It'll just end up cropping a bit of it right out of the middle of it. So these kind of things can have a big impact on the way your articles are going to perform in the Facebook newsfeed. So start experimenting with these aspect ratios and get them sized properly. And again, uh, John Loomer has a great post on this. It's called Facebook Link Thumbnail Image Dimensions. And again, we will have a link to that in the show notes, and it describes everything you'd ever want to know about these dimensions. And this stuff, folks, uh, also impacts the mobile experience as well. So just keep that in mind that um, one of the first hacks that you can do to your website is to get the images sized appropriately to get the kind of response that you want. Hack number two has to do with Facebook Open Graph tags. And just to kind of give you a quick understanding of how all this works, 
Facebook has their own uh, language called Open Graph, which allows you to essentially tell Facebook certain kinds of attributes like which image should it use as a default on a page, where should it pull text from, what should the description be, all sorts of interesting information that, um, that will help your content appear more appropriately in the newsfeed. And there's a whole bunch of data behind this. I'm not going to get into a lot of the minutiae and details, but if you go to developers.facebook.com slash docs slash open graph, you will find everything you would ever want to know, even for the non-techie that kind of shows you how it works, describes what open graph does. Now there's two things in particular that I want to draw your attention to. One is for WordPress people and the other one is how to actually clear a copy of what Facebook has in its system. And I'm going to tell you about each of these right now. First of all, if you're on WordPress, Open Graph is really easily implemented on a WordPress blog with a plugin that I recommend called WP Open Graph. We use it on Social Media Examiner and on My Kids Adventures, and it's really easy to use. And it allows you to essentially set data on a on a, I believe, a macro level and also on a post-by-post basis so that you can kind of control what shows up when people share your articles on Facebook. Now, the other thing that I mentioned is Facebook's debugger. Uh, it used to be called Lint, and you can find the debugger at uh, developers.facebook.com slash tools slash debug. And again, don't worry about these URLs. If you can't remember them, they will be in the show notes. Now, here's where the debugger comes in really, really handy. If you're not technical, and I'm not super technical, the one thing you need to know about the debugger is as follows. If you ever are trying to share something on Facebook, like a sales page that's changed, and for whatever reason, Facebook is pulling in data that is no longer relevant, the debugger essentially clears, it does the equivalent of clear, clearing the copy that Facebook has on its servers. It's kind of like clearing the cache in your web browser, except it does it across all of Facebook. And the way it works is you can simply paste in the URL of any website on the planet in here. And what it will do, when you hit the debug button, it will immediately clear the cache and pull in the open graph data that's been updated on any particular page. Now, I cannot tell you how many of my friends have had this problem, and boom, all of a sudden everything works on Facebook. So if you've ever had a weird thing where it just doesn't seem to share right when you hit the share button, this is your solution, Facebook debugger. So that's tip number two, using Facebook open graph tags. Okay, so far, we've talked about the first two hacks, which is getting the image sizes correct on your website, and no matter what, whether you're using open graph or not, this is perhaps the most important thing because Facebook will just look at what's on your website and it will automatically pick what it thinks is the biggest image and just make sure you get that dimensional setting right. Secondly, to take it to the next level is to use Facebook open graph tags. And I talked about how to do that and how to clear the cache in Facebook. Now, the third thing is to use Facebook the Facebook share button. Now the Facebook share button has recently gone through some updates and it's in your best interest to make sure that you're either using the code directly from Facebook or the WordPress plugin actually developed by Facebook itself. Now on any website, regardless of whether it's WordPress or not, you can go to developers.com. I'm sorry, developers.facebook.com 
slash docs slash plugins slash share dash button. And again, you know, you could probably just Google Facebook share button and find it quicker. And then what you do is um, once you're in here, you just paste in whatever URL you want to share. And then you go ahead and you can choose the different layouts of your button. You can do what's called a button count, which is the, it's a little square with the number off to the right. You can do a box count, which is a, the same thing with the number above it. And then you can, you know, do all sorts of things like buttons, icon links, and all this other kind of stuff. And these tend to be, you know, um, just little Facebook icons without any of the counts. If you have a website that has any decent number of shares, then I think you want to use the count number because that will help create what I call social proof. So, for example, if people see hundreds or even thousands of people sharing your content, the chances that they will do it are even greater. Um, Now, the same thing is true with WordPress. It's a lot easier if you just use WordPress's default plugin, and I have mentioned this in a prior podcast, but I'll tell you again. You go to wordpress.org slash plugins slash Facebook, and this is the official sanctioned Facebook plugin. Now, what's good about this plugin is that it allows you to do all the stuff that the Facebook uh, one does when you go direct to Facebook, except it's kind of a plug it and forget about it, and it just automatically does everything for you. Now, Facebook share buttons, where to put them. Uh, Some people like to put them at the top of a post because it creates kind of that initial, huh, I better keep reading because look at all these people that have have shared this post. Um, Some people like to put them at the bottom of the post. Um, I am a big fan of doing both, but only if you have a number that you're going to share. Because if you think about the way people consume content, they start at the top and they start skimming or scrolling or reading down the page. And when they get to the end of it, if it's really good, they're going to go ahead and share it. So just putting a share button at the top of the page um, and not displaying a number makes really no sense. So be sure to put your share button for sure at the bottom and ideally at the top and bottom. Or you could use a plugin like Dig Dig, which will allow it to float persistently on the side as people scroll down the page. So that's my second Facebook hack for your, I mean, my third one for your website. Okay, my fourth hack is something that's gonna seem a little odd at first, but it's really powerful. My fourth hack is Google Analytics. Chances are extremely good that you already have Google Analytics installed on your website. What you may not know is that Google Analytics allows you to do really cool analysis on your traffic coming from Facebook. So here's how you do it. You log into Google Analytics and you simply click on acquisition, which is one of these little options that you'll see on the sidebar. Underneath acquisition is a category called social. And when you click on social, it will actually uh, show you all the traffic coming from all the different social channels. So it'll tell you, uh, for example, in our case, 29,000 visits. You can click on the social network like Facebook And then what it will do is it will actually show you which URLs Facebook is driving the most traffic to, which I think is really very, very cool. And you can look at this at over a period of time or a specific day. And I think that's really, really awesome. Now, one more thing that you can do with Google Analytics that you may not know about is you can go under behavior and then under site content and then all pages And you can search for a very specific page of your website. For example, let's say you've got a sales page on your website. 
And in my case, we do for social media marketing world. So I can go in here and um, look at all the pages. And then there's a search box. And I just literally type in SMM world, which is the URL. Up comes all the pages that have that in there. And then I can click on the one in question. And then what's really cool is I can do what's called a secondary dimension. And I can choose source medium. And what this allows me to do is see on this particular page what traffic came from Facebook versus other uh, social networks. And I can even narrow this down to just today if I wanted to. So for example, let me just help you get some context on this. Let's say that I posted something on Facebook saying that we had a sale that ended today. I can actually log into Google Analytics and I can actually see exactly how many people today alone came to the site with Facebook. Um, now, this is just an example of many diff- many of the cool things that you can do with Google Analytics. And some people might argue, well, you can kind of get that data from Facebook itself. But I kind of like the fact that Google Analytics is extremely sophisticated and I can run comparative analysis. For example, I can say, how did this week versus last week's traffic from Facebook look? So once you begin understanding how you can use Google Analytics in particular to track Facebook you can begin to see whether or not you're seeing an increase or decrease in traffic trends from Facebook. I think this is a cool hack that a lot of people are not using. Okay, my last hack is kind of a no-brainer hack. Anyone who has a website that has traffic coming into it should have what I'm about to mention to you. It's called the Facebook Like Box for Pages. And you can just simply Google Like Box for Pages and you'll be brought to the page in question. Or you can, where you can get the widget to put on your website. You can also find it on Social Media Examiner. If you want to see what it looks like, you just scroll down our sidebar. Now, I can tell you from our own experience, we get a lot of traffic at our website. And when people come to the website and they see the like box over on the right, first of all, if they're logged into Facebook, they're going to see their friends that are already fans of our page. So that's really awesome because they recognize people's faces. And with a click of a button without leaving my website, they can become a fan of my page. So this is kind of a no-brainer way for you to grow a nice, healthy following on your Facebook page just from the traffic from people that are already coming to your website. And it's a much better alternative than a button that says like us on Facebook and then sends them off your website. So those are my five hacks. Number one, get your image sizes correct. Number two, make sure you're implementing Facebook open graph tags and that you're using the debugger tool if necessary to clear the cache of Facebook. Number three, get the Facebook share buttons on your website in strategic locations. Number four, leverage Google Analytics to see what kind of traffic Facebook is actually bringing back to your website as a result of these things that we're talking about. And number five, use the like box to grow your Facebook fan base so that when you do post something up on Facebook, your fans will see it and come back to your website. I hope you find these five hacks useful. Now I'd like to go ahead and share something else with you. Join 2,000 fellow marketers at the mega conference designed to inspire and empower you. Social Media Marketing World 2014. Brought to you by Social Media Examiner. You'll rub shoulders with the biggest names and brands in social media. Soak up countless tips and new strategies. And enjoy extensive networking opportunities in San Diego, California. Pick from more than 60 expert-led sessions. Network aboard a naval aircraft carrier. 
Meet industry leaders Chris Brogan, Murray Smith, Jay Bear, and Michael Hyatt. Don't miss the industry's largest conference. Secure your ticket before the event sells out. Visit socialmediaworld14.com today. We're starting to get super, super excited about this conference. Um, just to give you some perspective, there are more than 60 sessions, actually probably more like 70 sessions, across four major tracks. We've got the social tactics tracks, social strategy, community management, and content marketing. And there's actually eight total tracks, but these are kind of the, the macro tracks in which they live. And the excitement level for this conference is building like nothing we've ever experienced before. Now, if it's really cold where you are in the world right now, let me tell you that in San Diego, the weather is very, very nice compared to most parts of the world. As a matter of fact, the average temperature in San Diego is 72 degrees Fahrenheit year round. So why not make not just a you know an important business trip out of coming to social media marketing world, but why not bring your family? and make a vacation out of it. We've got some of the most awesome attractions you're going to find in one location. We've got the world-famous San Diego Zoo. We've got the Safari Park, which is kind of like experiencing Africa, but it's in San Diego. We've also got SeaWorld, and we've got Legoland. So we've got four major theme parks, and this is just, you know, I'm just scratching the surface of what there is to do here in San Diego. If you want to check out all that San Diego has to offer, be sure to check out Social Media World. 14.com and then you can click on the travel section and I think there's something there's a really cool video that shows all that San Diego has to offer but regardless of whether you want to make a vacation be sure to for sure grab your ticket to Social Media Marketing World it's a conference you don't want to miss and you can check it out by visiting socialmediaworld14.com I hope to see you there okay now what I'm going to share with you is six yes six different questions that were submitted and I'm going to go ahead and and quickly go through many of them. And I think you're going to find a lot of really interesting insight here. Let's transition over there right now. Fresh off the jungle trail, here's this week's social question. Hello, my name is John, and my wife is interested in starting a new lifestyle brand business on the web. In regards to strategy for launching this new idea, my thoughts would be that she would first start with the Facebook channel and then Twitter, based on the fact that there are, there's already foot traffic there. And then once she achieves a certain level on those two channels, that she would have an official announcement or launch of her new website. Is this a good strategy? And if not, does it make more sense to launch all three simultaneously? In regards to Twitter and Facebook, what specific strategies could you give us uh, specifically on how we could get valuable content for Twitter. Obviously, Twitter is different than Facebook, uh, a lot less use of words. So if you could help us uh, figure this out, we'd be so much, very much appreciative. Okay, John, that's a wonderful question. And I'm sure others are wondering what the answer is as well. Uh, Here's my thoughts. I think it's much more important for you to launch something that you own first and then launch a community. So for example, with Social Media Examiner, we launched socialmediaexaminer.com and our Twitter account pretty much simultaneously. But it wasn't for some time later that we actually opened our Facebook page. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting, and this was four years ago, so things were different back then. But what I definitely do not recommend that you do is to just start on the social channels and then see if things stick and then start your website. 
And the reason being is because the, you're, you're operating on rented ground. You know, when you're, when you're doing something on Facebook or Twitter, there's no assurances that what you do are going to be seen. And it's going to be kind of hard for you to develop fans because you don't have a hub or a destination where they can go to. So what I recommend is start with your website and, and perhaps start with Twitter or Facebook if it makes sense. You know, since you mentioned that you're a lifestyle um, brand that you're trying to build here, I think it does make sense that you'll find people for sure on Twitter and Facebook, maybe even Pinterest. So start simple. Get the website going. Start creating valuable content. And as far as what do you share on Twitter and Facebook, frankly, it can be kind of the same stuff. I mean, I'll tell you what we do. At Social Media Examiner, I've got someone on my team that uh, Cindy King, who actively is out there every single day looking for interesting articles that are going on in the industry and news in preparation for our Saturday post. Some of the more interesting things that she finds, she shares over Twitter. And then our Facebook community manager goes onto Twitter and looks at the articles and decides which one she's going to share on Facebook. So you can see it's kind of all interconnected. Um, There really isn't that big of a difference between Twitter and Facebook as far as content sharing goes. Other things that you can do, of course, include asking questions and then, of course, engaging people both on Twitter and Facebook when they answer the questions. We've got tons of articles on Social Media Examiner on all of this kind of stuff. If you go to our Getting Started Guide, uh, all you have to do is visit socialmediaexaminer.com and, and click on the, uh, I think it's called Starting button in the navigation bar at the top. John, I hope this gives you some uh, insight to go ahead and get started right away. Let's transition to the next question. Hi, my name is Adam. I'm the owner of Fresh Idea Websites in Woodstock, Ontario, Canada. Our website address is freshideawebsites.com. We help a lot of uh, small businesses with uh, building WordPress websites and also social media community management. So my question is, what tools do you find are the most helpful for managing multiple business pages for different brands, and why do you like those tools? And thanks again for your uh, podcast. Really enjoy it. Listen every week up here in Canada. Hey, Adam, you know, uh, great question, and it's not as complicated as you might think. Um, You know, over here at Social Media Examiner, we have two primary pages, one for Social Media Examiner, one for My Kids Adventures, which I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And all we do is literally just go into Facebook and use their built-in tools to go ahead and manage Facebook. So, for example, if we want to, we can schedule using Facebook, and we much prefer to do that because... In the past, Facebook has penalized um, people that use third-party tools, and supposedly that has been removed, but we would rather not take any chances and simply use the scheduling tools built into Facebook to go ahead and uh, interact with uh, our fans and schedule content. Uh, for the most part, Facebook is a, is a very manual process, and Facebook prefers it that way. So there really isn't any tool that I would necessarily recommend, but I'm not in a position where you are, where I have many, many different clients and we're trying to manage all their different Facebook pages. And uh, if you want to check out some of the tools that are out there, you can visit socialmediaexaminer.com and um, search for some of those tools. Or you can go under, uh, next to our search bar is, a, is something called categories and you can click on tools. And there are millions of tools out there. I'm not going to make any recommendations to you because I don't use any of them and we don't use any of them at Social Media Examiner um, when it comes to Facebook in particular. Now, when it comes to Twitter, we do use a tool called Social Oomph. 
and uh, Hootsuite is an alternative. And we find Social Oomph to be very, very powerful. And the way we use it is uh, we know when all of our articles are coming out and we know when we're promoting, for example, our conference. So we schedule out an entire week's worth of tweets ahead of time. We also go in there and we take some of our more popular content and we schedule that out. And we do that across uh, the Twitter accounts for My Kids Adventures and Social Media Examiner. You can also use Social for Facebook if you want to. We just don't use it that way. I hope that helps you out. Let's go ahead and move on to the next question. Hi, Michael. My name is Amanda Skidmore, and I'm the marketing director for startup company CEU Central. We're an online education website where professionals like nurses or contractors can take the continuing education courses they need to renew the professional license. I'm currently trying to develop our marketing plan, and I'd like your insight as into whether or not we need a separate Facebook, Twitter, blog, etc. for each of our divisions since the professionals that we serve are have such vastly different interests. Thanks in advance. You know, Amanda, this is a really good question. It's an important question. Um, there's no simple answer to this. Uh, in one of the prior episodes of, of uh, the podcast, Uh, I did address someone else's question that was very similar to this. It really comes down to resources um, and, you know, how big is your team is really the question. In the ideal world, you do have separate social channels for each of the primary audiences that you're trying to connect with, assuming they do not have a similar interest. But if they all do have a similar shared interest and it's continuing education and the nursing space, I believe it was. Well, then maybe it does make sense. But if you have different products that have a different audience and they're not necessarily, those audiences are not sharing anything in common, well, then it does make sense ultimately to begin developing these different communities for every one of these audiences. Having said that, it can become a management nightmare because all of a sudden you've got content that you need to cross syndicate syndicate across all these different channels that you're trying to manage and you can forget one over another and maybe one's not growing as fast and it can become just a huge management nightmare. So I don't really have a good solution for you not knowing the details of your situation. But I would encourage um, anyone listening right now that's gone through this to go ahead and let Amanda know what your thoughts are. And you can do that by visiting the show notes. And I'm going to tell you right now where they're going to be located if you give me two seconds to look this up. Um, Okay, here we go. It's going to be at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 75. So if you have feedback for Amanda about how she can manage this because you've done it yourself, would you visit socialmediaexaminer.com? slash 75 and leave her your comments about how she should do this based on your own experience. Okay, let's transition over to the next question. Hi, Mike. It's Greg Elwell, host of the Expert Interviews podcast, and that's at b2binbound.com slash podcast. Hey, here's my question. How can you have two instances of a blog on a single WordPress site? For example, on Social Media Examiner, you've got your homepage, which is where all of your blog articles are. And then you have podcast, uh, a podcast menu item, which contains all of your podcasts. Is there a simple way to do this in WordPress where you can have separate instances or pages and RSS feeds configured on a single WordPress website? Thanks, Michael. I look forward to hearing your response. Take care. 
Hey, Greg, you're going to be surprised. It's much easier than you might realize. It's just a matter of actually creating a category inside of WordPress. So we have a category called podcasts. And every single podcast is tagged with uh, that particular category. So when you go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash podcast, or is it podcasts? No, I think it's podcast. It'll only show you all the blog posts that are tagged podcast. It's so simple. And all we really did was create a forwarding URL. So socialmediaexaminer.com slash podcast forwards to socialmediaexaminer.com slash category slash podcast, I believe. So you can create any category you want. Each of these categories can have their own RSS feed. And in the end, that's how you can create what appears to be a customized sub-level section of your website. Now, we did hire um, a developer to create a little bit of special code so that um, when people were on that particular page, it told them about the podcast. And that was something that was a custom development that we did. Hope that answers your question, Greg. Let's go ahead and move on to the next question. Hi, my name is Lucy from Lucy's Web Designs and I listen avidly to your podcasts. I make websites for people and then I show them how to keep them updated themselves. And I noticed on one of your um, podcasts you said about putting content where the client is. And I'm just wondering how that affects SEO because I've heard that you're not supposed to duplicate content on websites. So I was wondering if I was to put a blog post onto Google Plus, for instance, and then onto Tumblr and then onto Facebook... How would that be with the fact that it's already residing on my blog or my client's blog? So I just wondered if you could help me with that. I love your podcast, Michael. I listen to them while I'm cruising about, and they're fantastic. Thanks very much for all the information. Thank you, Lucy. It's a great question. So um, just a little bit of a distinction. Um, I know that some people literally will copy and paste all of the the article onto, for example, Google+. I'm not necessarily an advocate of that. Um, Typically, when I'm talking about sharing content across social networks, I'm not talking about republishing or redistributing your content. Instead, I'm talking about linking back to your content. So the idea here is, in our case at least, we want to drive as much traffic to socialmediaexaminer.com so we can grow our email newsletter list and expose people to our events and conferences. So it's not in our best interest to just take our articles and publish them elsewhere um, because it doesn't really help drive traffic back to our website. But having said all that, there's nothing stopping you from taking a portion of your content, like for example, the first couple of paragraphs, putting it up on the different social networks, and then having a click here to read more. So I am with you, Lucy. I don't think that you should publish your content elsewhere. But I also don't think if you do that, uh, in the end, Google is going to penalize you for SEO because I think Google's smart enough to know where the article was originally published based on the actual publication the moment it was published or or the moment uh yeah it was published because generally speaking um you're not going to publish exactly at the same time as the article publishes across the different social networks and the google bots are going to recognize that it found it first on your website i hope that answers your question lucy Uh, with that let's go to one more question Hi, Michael. My name is Mike Haldis. I am the co-founder of AppBurst. We develop content-driven mobile applications for businesses and events. I've been a subscriber to your podcast for about six months, and I really look forward to every episode. So thank you for the great work that you and your team does. Uh, As you know, there are a bunch of tools out there to help research and find social media connections on every major platform, especially Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Uh, Many of these tools allow users to actually mine for people that are connected to other companies, so it's easy to research who is following competitors, for example, and whom competitors follow. 
Facebook and Twitter build right into their marketing platforms, a way for other businesses to market specifically to these people uh, if you want. So my question is this. Uh, let's say I'm a company that's really good at connecting with my customer base through social media platforms and I build up a large following. Isn't this kind of risky because in a way I just exposed part of my customer base or leads uh, to any competitor that, that knows how to watch and track this? Does this concern ever come up in your circles and what do you think about it? Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, interesting question. I don't think that this is as big of a concern as you might believe it is because um, it's not as direct of a correlation as you might think. For example, we have, what, 230 some thousand email subscribers and then we've got uh, well over 100,000 Facebook fans. I can't even remember the exact number. I know it's it's actually way higher than that. But the point is um, there's not necessarily a correlation between the number. Yeah, we have, okay, we have 210,000 Facebook subscribers. Um, there's not necessarily a correlation between those 210,000 Facebook fans and those 235,000 uh, email subscriber fans. As a matter of fact, I've learned over the years that different people want to consume content in different ways. So a lot of the people that used to be on our list are probably now following us on Facebook instead because they don't want to get our emails as frequently. Um, in addition, people discover us on Facebook and have no clue that we have an email newsletter list. Um, but more importantly, there is no way for even me to know who all of our fans are on Facebook very easily, let alone our competitors, because it's not like you can just go out there and download those fans and do anything with that because Facebook likes to keep that private. Um, LinkedIn, I think groups are the only ones that allow you as the administrator to actually download it. And maybe Google plus does too. I'm not exactly sure, but I guess what I'm trying to tell you is do not fear to grow a big following on social networks because your competitors are going to get leads from you. That's not the reason why you grow following on these social networks. You grow following on these social networks because these people hopefully love you and want to evangelize your content. And hopefully you'll figure out a way to move the people that are on the social networks into your lead funnel because chances are pretty good that they're not in your lead funnel. They probably found you as a result of someone else sharing content that they found valuable and they decided to follow you on Twitter or on Facebook or any other network for that matter. So I don't really think it's a concern at all, but I would love other people to share their comments. What do you all think? Uh, visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 75 to share your thoughts about uh, the comments that were just left by, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting your name now, um, Mike. All right, folks. Well, um, Thank you so much for listening to all these Q&As. Um, if you've got a question that you want answered, it's very easy. Just visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail, and you get about 60 seconds to leave your question. And if I like it, I may include it in a future podcast episode. Again, socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail. Well, this does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. You can catch the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 75. We take all the notes for you. So if there's anything we mentioned that you missed, just go there. You can also leave comments, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 75. Well, this does bring us to the end of yet another Social Media Examiner, Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. 
and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.